let's head to Brazil now, where elections yesterday did not solve the most pressing of political questions in that country. Who will be the next president? The polls seem to show the challenger and former president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, or simply Lula, was poised for a first round win against the incumbent higher Bolsonaro. Uh, but with Bolsonaro producing a stronger showing than expected, that means another round of voting in four weeks' time in a winner-takes-all runoff. The most trusted opinion polls had indicated leftist former president Lula da Silva was far out front and potentially even clinching a first-round victory. One prominent pre-election poll gave da Silva a 14% point lead. In the end, Bolsonaro surprised to the upside and came within just five points. He'll face da Silva in a high-stakes October 30 presidential runoff. Political analyst Ariel Tonferez says this is a big defeat for the Democratic Centre, that saw its voters migrate to Bolsonaro in a polarised scenario. Lula starts ahead, but it now won't be easy for him. I'm Charles de Ledesma. Now, this is a term we use a lot these days, but it is in many ways a battle for the political soul of the world's fourth largest democracy, with Lula firmly on the left and a Trump-style populist, Bolsonaro, solidly on the right. But as all major elections these days are indicative of, there are always lessons to be learned for all of us. And in this one, Bolsonaro's appeal to voters on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum through a combination of flag-waving nationalism, right down to hijacking the famous national soccer team's iconic yellow jersey, to concerns over inflation and the cost of living, he found a formula that allowed him to stay in this race, in fact, make it a close race heading into this second round. Well, joining me now with more on this is Manuel Balan. He's an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at McGill University. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Pleasure to be with you. So, well, I mean, the polls often get things wrong, but it seemed in this one, um, I mean, not altogether wrong. I don't think they were totally far off, but, you know, Bolsonaro certainly had a much better showing than expected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, not to get too technical, but the polls in Brazil are, are particularly complicated, right? It's a very right. heterogeneous large country, Right. And so the, the type of polling that is done usually in Brazil is not this sort of proportional polling, but it's more a quota polling. And so, yes, it, it underestimated Bolsonaro's support by about 6-7%. Um, that 6-7% was supposed to go to third, fourth party candidates, and it coalesced in Bolsonaro's support. So, yeah, I mean, even though they, they did pick up Lula's percentage almost down to the, the, the last number, um, they grossly sort of uh, underestimated Bolsonaro's support. I guess this really became a two-horse race, uh, not to use the racing analogy too often, but it really did become a two-horse race yesterday. For President. Yeah, absolutely. It, it became a very polarized uh, election, right? More so than any other first-round election in, in recent Brazilian history. When you look at Bolsonaro, and I think a lot of us in Canada and uh, in North America probably only dive in rarely to see what he's up to. He's certainly uh, controversial, uh, certainly during the pandemic, he was controversial. What do you think his keys to success were? I've been reading a lot about what may have led him to do well yesterday, considering some of the uh, some of the opposition to his policies. But what do you think allowed him to do well? And uh, and what's the appeal of Lula? Well, I think Bolsonaro taps into uh, sort of a, a, a large portion of the Brazilian population that is uh, conservative and religious and, uh, and that rejects uh, quite a bit of 
sort of the more progressive views that have been um, sort of sought after by, by Lula and the PT, the Workers' Party, throughout the years, right? And so there's, there's a little bit of a disenchantment with the Workers' Party after a long, you know, 12 years in power. Um, and there's also um, sort of that conservative aspect that was previously untapped. Right. So so people talk about Bolsonaro's coalition as being, um, you know, based on uh, conservative values related to guns and agricultural production, as well as uh, a strong sort of a church component, evangelical component. Um, and, and that sort of really coalesced into a, a big proportion of, of support. Uh, then we have some more populist politics uh, followed by by Bolsonaro of really you know, um, spending a lot of money on getting specific sec- sectors of, of Brazil at key points in time, sort of trying to, you know, get more votes. So so all of that sort of coalesced into a large proportion of support. I don't want to be too, I don't want to stereotype too much here, but obviously most, uh, many, many other people outside of Brazil associate Brazil with football, with soccer, and that team yep. and that shirt. And I was surprised to see over time that uh, that Bolsonaro had sort of uh, appropriated a lot of the symbols of the Brazil Brazil's national team for his party, and and how odd that must be, and, and how it kind of symbolizes the polarization and the divisiveness that exists uh, within both societal and political uh, spectrums in Brazil right now. Yeah, it's it's actually you know if you want a good indication of Bolsonaro's support, you have to go no further than the national team, the soccer national team in Brazil, where you have a number of players who have been very vocal about their Bolsonaro support. Right? Again, on religious grounds, on conservative grounds, it, it does hit a, a fiber that is part of the very complex and heterogeneous country that is Brazil. Right. Um, the main star, the main Brazilian soccer star of the last decade, uh, Neymar, uh, has expressed publicly his support for Bolsonaro, right? That I think it's not that he would carry more support, but that shows that it does, that Bolsonaro does represent, uh, say, staying political force in, in Brazil at this point in time. And that leads me to to what happens now, because I think there was this notion that perhaps Lula was going to win on the first ballot. He has not. Um, they have four weeks now. It's going to be a race to the end. They'll be looking for support from elsewhere. Um, who stands, who's in the driver's seat right now heading? I mean, Lula won. I mean, he won more votes, but who's in the driver's seat heading into round two, do you think? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a complex situation, right? So I would say Lula is highly favored to win. And I do think that Lula will win the runoff election. Now, the perceived and, and always talked about momentum is on Bolsonaro's side, right? Uh, he was supposed to do a lot worse in this election. Um, he got 43% of the vote. That's a significant number of votes in Brazil that, that signified yesterday about 50 million votes. That's a lot of votes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but still, uh, the point is, you know, if, if we if we start sort of looking at the numbers, I think it's highly likely, unless unless something really major were to happen in the next four weeks, something that would really change the political scenario, I tend to think that Lula will win the election. Now, that's not the end of the problem, right? Because then, as we know, and as we've been talking about, and as we heard, and as we saw in the U.S., 
with Trump's election and, and Biden, it is not clear that Bolsonaro will accept that defeat. And it's not clear that Bolsonaro supporters will accept that defeat. And so I think that's the sort of the very much open political question that remains, aside from, of course, the you know election itself, which, again, as, as stated, I think Lula will take. Back to our conversation with Manuel Balan, Balan, where he's an associate professor in the Department of Political Science at McGill University. We're talking about the elections in Brazil yesterday because, of course, they have implications outside the borders of um, the world's fourth largest democracy. There'll be a runoff at the end of the month between uh, the challenger, Lula da Silva, he's a former president, and the incumbent, Har Bolsonaro, who's um, well-known. He's been uh, uh, colorful, I think is probably the wrong word, um, but certainly a, uh, a bit of a lightning rod, both politically within Brazil, but also elsewhere. Uh, Manuel, I, I was interested to see all those, because obviously Bolsonaro, in, in a very Trumpian way, has been talking about the chances of voter fraud for quite a while, and yet he does quite well in the election. So how do you square that this was all rigged versus, hey, I did pretty well, so you know these, these, these results are probably good for me. It's going to be an interesting um, intellectual exercise, one would imagine, over the next four weeks. Yeah, I would say a very creative intellectual exercise, right? I think I think it's a, it's a pretty moot point, right? It's, it's just political posturing on Bolsonaro's side. What we have to remember is that we're, we're dealing with uh, a politician with deep, you know, authoritarian tendencies and anti-democratic tendencies. And, and he will not go easy, right? He will not accept defeat easily. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think we can expect sort of every trick in the book to try to, you know, sway uh, voters in some way or another. And, uh, you know, if the attack is on the system, he will no doubtly just go for it. Yeah, and yet, solicitors understand Brazil's voting systems are different than America's, for instance. There is no mail-in ballots, for instance. It's, uh, I mean, I know there was talk. I mean, American right-wing pundits were talking about where the opportunities were for voter fraud, uh, as unlikely as that is. But they were talking. I mean, it is a very different system in Brazil than it would be, for instance, in the U.S. It is a very different system. It's electronic voting. It's, uh, you know, it, it's been observed for many elections. Elections in Brazil are, are, for the greatest part, very clean elections, very functional elections. And so technically, there's really no real fear of massive fraud. Of course, it can happen at local level at, at minimal stages, but but not not in a way that would sway an election, again, in the fourth largest democracy in the world. And also, interestingly, when it comes to the authenticity of the vote, uh, Bolsonaro's party did quite well uh, yesterday. In, 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 so they've elected a lot of members. So again, it would be a bit like the Republicans of the U.S. to call an election fraudulent when you've actually done quite well in it, again, is a, is a strange intellectual exercise. So there's that to consider, I would imagine, here. It'll also make it tougher for Lula to govern if he does win. Listen, it's it's not only that they did really well. I mean, they did, Bolsonaristas, they did really well both in terms of Senate elections for Congress. So a future very likely Lula presidency will, will have a lot of opposition in Congress. They did really well at gubernatorial races. Um, and they were the party in power, the, the incumbent. They run the election, right? And so it's it's really quite, the, the claim is quite outrageous, I have to say. 
what happens then? I mean, it, clearly it's going to be close, we think, in the runoff. It was close yesterday. Uh, what's the best case scenario? What would be the worst case scenario for Brazil right now come, come election day? So I think the the best, uh, and this is a personal opinion, of course, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the best case scenario is a is actually a likely scenario by which, uh, you know, if we look at if we look at trends in Brazilian elections, usually turnout doesn't go up in the second round in the runoff election. It's usually the same type of turnout or a little bit lower, which is around eighty percent for Brazilian elections. Um, and if we look at the vote share that different parties received yesterday. We see that, you know, outside of Lula and Bolsonaro, there were about 10 million votes that were casted for other candidates, right? About 8 million of those were casted for candidates that came in third and fourth. Those two are very likely in the next couple of days to publicly support Lula. Now, that doesn't mean that those votes automatically go towards Lula, but, you know, even a 50-50 split would give Lula a significant edge going into the second round, right? So uh, uh, we have to remember um, a couple of elections ago, uh, 2014, the, the, the electoral outcome in Brazil was decided by less than 2% of the vote. I don't think we're heading in that direction. I think we'll see uh, a difference that is substantial in both percentage as well as number of votes for Lula. Um, and by substantial, I mean single digits. Huh? I don't mean double digits. But, right. uh, you know, that will still mean, you know, a good 8 million votes, 10 million votes. And that is something that is nothing to sneeze at, right? And so I think that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, on the other hand, is the election gets really, really close. And if we're talking about 1% of the vote difference or 1.5% of the vote, that's when I would fear more for um, basically societal unrest with the result of the election. I would imagine, particularly if uh, Bolsonaro comes out and claims that the, the election has been stolen. Yes, what else? Uh, I think yes. I think that that would have. So so basically, there's two types of potential problems coming up if if that happens, right? So one is, um, you know, Bolsonaro still holds the presidency, of course, and has a lot of power. And he can do a lot of damage from that position in terms of undermining democratic institutions in Brazil, um, the Supreme Court or whomever would be in charge of sort of reviewing that election and undermining publicly the authority and legitimacy of those institutions. That's one stage. The second stage in which this will be fought is or could be fought is, is on the street. We've seen instances just in the last few weeks where there's been violence. Uh, It's been very few instances, but there's been violence between uh, mostly from Bolsonaristas uh, against uh, Lula supporters. Um, There's been a a couple of of hate crimes committed. And if Bolsonaro really, you know, amps up that rhetoric, we could see more of that. I think that's that's a serious concern. It all sounds so strangely familiar, doesn't it? Yes, it does sound very strangely familiar. I think the the, the comparators are, are very clear um, to what happened in the U.S., right? Um, and I would say, in, and in that comparison, I would also highlight the strength of Brazilian democracy. Um, both institutions as well as societal support for democracy in Brazil are high. Um, and so even though those all of these concerns are very valid, 
and I share them to a great extent. I do have hope, and I believe that in the end, cooler heads will prevail, and we will see uh, a respect for the democratic process and the democratic outcome of the election. Manuel Balan, thank you so much. I imagine we'll be speaking again probably in about uh, three or four weeks' time. So thank you so much for your time <laughs> yeah, tonight. I appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you so <laughs> Manuel much. Manuel Balan.